This is Horum with Quorum's Quorum. And my guest today is Vivek Jairam of Jairam Law. And I really enjoyed talking to Vivek. I think uh, he is someone who is very happy and there's a reason for that is um, it seems evident that he has used a core insight about people to make his practice a lot more satisfying for himself and a lot more effective. So we'll talk about how uh, a people-driven approach to practice is something that will help define the clients you get and define the kind of people you work with. So uh, without much more, here is Vivek. Well, Vivek, thanks for taking the time to talk. Happy to be here. You know, you just, you know, we, we connected, I think LinkedIn, something like that. And you just struck me as someone who's doing interesting things. I mean, just your law firm website, you know, if anyone goes to your website, it's just immediately going to say, okay, that's something different. So uh, <laughs> that caught my eye. So then I knew that we had a talk and then, um, you know, it became clear that you had um, built something pretty interesting and, you know, thought about it very intentionally about how you're going to grow your own practice and, and the niche you're going to serve. And so I think it's pretty cool. And you're trying some new things when it comes to how you service your clients. So wanting into all that. And uh, I guess we'll begin, you know, I, I'm sure you've been asked this many times. So what was, you know, what was the, the, the moment that said, okay, I, I got to set my own shop here? Yeah. Um, well, thanks for having me here. I, you know, that, that is a question I get, you know, asked often. Um, so I was, a, you know, I, 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 after law school, I did a clerkship for a federal district court judge, and then I went to go work at sort of a, a big law firm. And, you know, a lot of people who, who kind of go through that experience, I think, um, have a negative experience with it. And I guess the fact that I went and started my own firm might sort of uh, signal that I had a, a you know, whatever, a, a negative or less than desirable experience, but that's actually, you know, not necessarily true. I mean, um, I'm still friends with a lot of the people that I worked with. I felt like uh, big law is a good place to be trained. There's a lot of really smart lawyers there, but ultimately for me, um, you know, at the end of the day, I just felt that, you know, in terms of like the culture of law firms, there was just very little for me there. Um, and so I thought to myself, you know, I don't want to spend my career uh, sort of surrounded by sort of people and a culture that necessarily maybe didn't fit my personality and sort of my goals and um, how I thought maybe uh, I wanted to live my life and, and, and who I wanted to surround myself uh, with. So um, that, you know, kind of combined with all the entrepreneurial streak that I've always had, um, I just thought, okay, I'm just going to start my own thing, right? And if I'm being honest, Carm, I think at first it was more of like a, gosh, like I just have nothing in common with this like law firm world, this law firm culture. So I'm just going to go start something of my own outside, you know, of, of the law. And my, I think then fiance, probably terrified fiance when I said that now wife was like, well, okay, I can get behind that, but why don't you try um, starting your own law thing first, since that's the industry, you know? And that was really good advice. Um, you know, not that I couldn't have figured something else out, but I do think that there's something to be said about, um, you know, if you are trying to um, innovate in a space, it's good to know the space so you know, you know, what, what's wrong with it and, and, and sort of how you could transform it. So, um, so that's what I did, you know, it was the, it was the uh, summer of 2009, which was the, the deepest sort of um, depths of the, the recession. Uh, I now know, I didn't know at the time, but I now know that several of my sort of lawyer friends thought I was absolutely crazy uh, to sort of leave this, this kind of cush law firm world, big law world, and, and kind of go out on your own. Um, and unlike a lot of people who do that, 
Um, I don't really have, I didn't really have, like, it's not like I was leaving the firm with some giant client or a handful of clients or anything like that. I left with nothing. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but the point was this, Karam, is, is that I wanted to really start a firm and, and sort of build a company, um, you know, that obviously practiced law, but that really had the kind of culture that um, I think I was looking for. And so um, I think where I started with that just on my own was, let me just start a play. Let me just start a company where everybody can be themselves. And that was really the, the impetus for starting Jerem Law. So what does that mean? What does it mean to, to be yourself? Yeah. So I felt, you know, what was, what's actually quite extraordinary is I know a lot of lawyers and I'm friends with a lot of lawyers. And there are so many lawyers, people like you and, and a lot of other people out there who really have such interesting backgrounds and interests and passions, right? And I feel that when you are working in sort of the 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 industry that that that's out there or that's largely out there, you know, whether it's whether it's big law or a smaller firm, just when you think of the legal industry, there's a very specific, staid, slow-moving conservative culture, you know. And so I feel like a lot of the creative people or a lot of people that might be considered sort of out of the box or whatever, um, you know, they 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 tend to conceal a lot of that when they're within the the sort of hallowed halls of the of the law firm, right? And I wanted to do away with all that. And so, you know, um, you know, at the time when I was, you know, 30 years old or whatever, uh, you know, that maybe played out in 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 things like, you know, no dress code or um, flexible hours. And we had a, you know, I guess what would now be called a co-working space, although that was not even a term uh, back then in 2009. Um, stuff like that, that I think allows people, it, it kind of starts with this, this basic understanding that people are different from one another. And so they work differently. They dress differently. They learn differently. They teach differently. And so if we let people, allow people to be themselves in that way, it's not just a um, culture pitch to like, you know, attract, you know, young, cool associates or something. I actually deeply believe that by allowing people to be themselves, they are going to produce the absolute best work that they that they could ever produce. And, um, you know, I saw it time and time again, really brilliant, brilliant lawyers being overworked and yelled at and treated unfairly, uh, you know, at big law. And the result is you're getting somebody who could be um, extraordinary, for your company, but because you're um, sort of uh, kind of directing them to work in a very specific way, and you're telling them to uh, you know communicate in a very specific way, um, you know it, it, it certainly I think inhibits you know their potential. So it's interesting, and so I mean, so that's really a interesting core insight is people. That's a core, that's an interesting core insight to have is that how people operate, how to bring the most out of talent. Um, that's a very different way thing for a lawyer to think. I don't think a lot of lawyers are thinking about people first, um, yeah, peers people. or otherwise. So it's a yeah. super interesting idea. And now I, I want to kind of dig into that and learn. So like, what does that look like? What's the biggest thing that changes? I mean, I can, I can understand that, you know, let's say, you know, I can dress, uh, how I'm dressing now or you're dressing now. And, you know, that feels good to do that. And I'll, I'm just generally happier and then just generally having people to have better work products. So I, I can get that. That seems it's a little attenuated, you know, I, I can get the connection, but I'm wondering if there's something that you observe, like, Hey, you know, like this changed the most, like, because people were comfortable to be who you are, 
when they did this this aspect of the legal work differently, like maybe it's how they interacted with clients, or you know, maybe they have you know much different nature of client communications and relationship. That's the thing that really moved the needle. Like, what what, what was it that you think really moved the needle yeah. with with improving your practice? Yeah. So there's a very tangible benefit to this, right? Um, and you know, we're a law firm. So how do we how do we exist? What do we do, right? How do we generate revenue? We generate revenue by serving clients, right? And what I found, and you know, it wasn't obviously right away, right? But over time, and now it's been 11 years, I'm, I'm very comfortable in saying this because uh, now it's just playing out, you know, sort of on a daily basis, which is just that, um, you know, I never really realized that, you know, clients don't like really talking to their lawyers, <laughs> you know, um, or, or a lot of clients don't like talking to their lawyers. They feel like they speak a different language, yeah. um, they, they, you know, they, they're, they're, not accessible necessarily in the same, you know, they don't seem maybe as down to earth as, as uh, you know, other people, um, you know, they're, they're maybe stuffy in the way they dress, maybe stuffy in the way that their office looks. Um, so it, it maybe doesn't create this warm, inviting sort of safe space, right. To talk about, believe it or not, the most critical problems that you're experiencing. Right. Um, and so what I found is by sort of um, really structuring our firm or giving our firm the culture or taking cues about our culture, not from other law firms, right? Not even the most, you know, kind of forward thinking law firms, you know, back then there was, you know, firms like Latham and Watkins that were doing uh, incredible work uh, attracting, you know, LBGTQ uh, uh, candidates. Um, You know, we weren't taking cues from other law firms. We were looking to the clients that we worked with and the clients we wanted to work with. And we built a culture that would attract those kind of people, right? And um, I can tell you that you know um, when when clients, you know, whether they're you know technology entrepreneurs or um, you know other creatives or you know founders of companies or you know artists, filmmakers, whomever, you know, when they come to see us uh, or they talk to us, you know, our our office feels different. The people feel different. People feel more comfortable. Uh, you know, talking with people who maybe understand their problems a little more, or at least, you know, seem to understand their problems a little better. So I think if you think about um, some of these service industries like, um, you know, accounting or medicine or law, these are highly uh, trust-based sort of, you know, industries, right? You need to have a a, a great deal of trust uh, in your lawyer. And I feel like, a, a sort of basic tenet of trust is just having a connection with the other person, right? And um, we found that, you know, given the kinds of clients that we wanted to work with, uh, largely those in the creative industries, um, you know, it, it, it just seemed to make sense. So when did you identify that it was creative? Because I, I mean, you talked about, you know, wanting, uh, you know, I think the core insight seemed about be about people in general, Mm-hmm. But, you know, that that seems it doesn't seem like necessarily tied to creative. So how do creatives factor into the vision for for the clientele you wanted? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So, you know, I've I've so I've like played music and just kind of like been around artists my whole life. And um, you know, and so I think when I went to law school, uh, like a lot of people, I had this this notion um, that I wanted to be an entertainment lawyer. <laughs> you know, and I think a lot of people had that. I went to school in you know, downtown Manhattan, and it seemed to be uh, the right place to maybe explore something like this, you know, place like that or Los Angeles or something. And I've got to say, you know, my my first summer of law school, I interned at Sony Music and I had a great experience. I did. And, and the lawyer that I worked for there 
Um, Tony Timpano has been, you know, sort of a, a mentor for me uh, over time, and 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 it was a great experience. But um, I almost quickly learned that, like, okay, wait, um, you know, yeah, it was cool to see M Ward uh, come and serenade us uh, in a conference room before he even had his first album out. That was kind of cool. But um, in terms of the legal work, um, you know, there was a lot of tax. There was some, you know. Uh, labor laws, you know, stuff like that. And I realized that like, okay, just because you're working in the entertainment industry doesn't necessarily mean that your legal function, you know, will be something that you love. Right. So I kind of, after that experience, sort of just broadened my, my viewpoint on, on what I wanted to do. And I just kind of like, you know, explored in law school and took all kinds of courses and things like that. I think my ultimately like my favorite classes probably in law school were like fed courts and like constitutional law and stuff like that. Sure, and uh, yeah, you know, when, when else do you get to learn that stuff? Right. Just for the, the, the sake of learning. And so, um, you know, I went and did, uh, did uh, the clerkship, which I, which I absolutely loved. And when I started working um, I was primarily doing like commercial and like IP litigation. And I always felt that like the copyright and trademark stuff just felt a little bit different different to me. I mean, it just felt a little more creative, a little more out of the box um, and tended to deal with maybe some of these creative industries a little more than, you know, maybe corporate finance or something like that. Um, and so when I started my firm, I'm like, well, if, if I'm starting with this blank canvas where people are at the center of it, I guess I can also uh, kind of imagine as wildly as I want what my client base will look like. And given that I was building a place with those kinds of people, I figured, well, you know, I've, I've always been around creative people and I love being around creative people. And so not going to stay in law anyway. I'm just doing this to appease my wife for the next year until it fails. And then I can go do something else. Right. I'm like, let me just go work with all the most creative people I can find. Right. And I felt like the profile of the person that would be working in our firm would also share that value with me. Right. And, um, you know, and I think this is where the difference is maybe between what you're thinking right now and what actually happened. When people hear the word creative, they immediately think of somebody painting or somebody making a movie or something like that. And absolutely, those have been creative since the beginning of time, right? Or since the beginning of film and paint, right? Um, but, you know, I quickly learned and we quickly learned as a team and, you know, as a firm that, you know, there's creativity in every company, right? Um, you know, we've worked with huge accounting firms who are like trying to, you know, um, you know, create a venture arm or, uh, you know, maybe uh, digitize a certain line of business within within their company, right? And we're a perfect match for that because working with the CTO and whatever other creative team they've put together to like launch this new endeavor also share those kinds of values with us. And so what quickly happened is, you know, we just started you know, working with all kinds of brands and entrepreneurs and, you know, uh, technology uh, driven companies and artists, filmmakers, musicians, all those kinds of people um, it, as, as sort of the, the, the sort of kind of core of our practice. And so even as we're here today, um, yeah, you know, we, we do represent, you know, some companies and clients that, that maybe don't neatly fit into that bucket. But I think you're going to find that almost everybody we work with, um, I think, can be sort of... Uh, placed into that creatives bucket, at least in the way that we define it. Yeah, I think that's so interesting because I, I think I'm starting to appreciate the importance of, of finding the kind of work that you do enjoy. I think I had approached practice, you know, I entered law school in 2010 and graduated in 2013, and that was a really rough market. 
And, you know, I think I approached it very utilitarian. And so I think, uh, I think I'm not alone in that. I think particularly say in the South Asian, you know, community, I think mm-hmm. people are going after these things that are, you know, the, uh, have the, the high perceived payoff and, you know, oh, there's, there's, there's good steady work there. And there's merits that approach, you know, it, it, you know, it matters, you know, getting money in the door matters and then having um, a launching pad matters. But I think what really matters in the long run is talking about what you're talking about is finding the people that you want to work with and the things that you want to work on, the things that you, I mean, like, you know, the thing I, I imagine just from what you're describing, this is kind of stuff that you wouldn't mind just like newly on in the shower or it's a Saturday night and, you know, you're unwinding and just, oh, but actually just had this thought, you know, I can easily see that that would be the way you'd be approaching a practice. And that's a little different. I mean, I, I can't tell you about too many patent litigation matters that I've, I've uh, mulled over on a Saturday night about, uh, but maybe, I, maybe other people are, are built differently than me. So, uh, so that, that, that seems to matter a lot. So, okay. So you went after, you're, you're saying you went after this clientele. What was the timeline from when you opened your office to your first client and, and how did you get that client? <laughs> oh, wow. This is like, yeah, we're, we're going back in time here. Um, but you, but to respond to what you just said, Karama, yeah, absolutely. I, I love what I do. I, I, I love it. And I'm, I'm thinking about it all the time and I'm uh, ideating all the time. And, and, and it's just, uh, it's, I'm just so grateful that I, that I can, I can have that experience because um, when I started this, clearly like I wasn't in it for the money, (laughs) you know, I didn't have a single client and I, you know, I was in it for the joy. I was really looking for happiness. And I feel like, you know, today in 2020, you know, 11 years later, you hear that phrase of like, well, happiness is the new wealth, right? Um, That's kind of how I felt back then. I just, I just wanted to be happier. Uh, And I, and I saw myself and so many other smart, talented lawyers, unhappy in their jobs. And, um, and that was really the driver to, to get me to where I was. So yeah, it was the summer of 2009. Um, and uh, I can tell you about my first two clients, actually. Uh, I think it was towards the end of July. Um, I, was, uh, I was newly married. Um, we were in Chicago. Uh, I can actually picture exactly where I was. I was at my parents' house in the dining room uh, on a weekend. Uh, we live in the suburbs of Chicago. My wife and I were, were visiting them. Uh, we didn't have kids yet. Um, and I got a call um, from a friend of mine in New York um, who was uh, at uh, Wilson Sonsini. And uh, she was going to be leaving. And uh, she was leaving on maternity leave. Um, what they didn't know is she was already kind of planning on leaving permanently. But um, she, she was leaving on maternity leave. And she had a client that she really... Um, liked. She just liked them. She thought, good, good people, right? And um, she had had heard from a friend. Uh, she well, she had gotten my email, you know, saying that I'm starting this firm or whatever, which was probably sent like a week before that. Um, and and so uh, she 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 gave me a shout, and she's like, "Listen, there's this uh, really interesting um, educational video game uh, uh, company uh, run by a really charismatic uh, founder." And the name of the company back then was called Tabula Digita. And uh, they need some help. And I was like, wow, okay, cool. Um, so, uh, you know, got, got the call and, and, and ended up connecting with the client. And it ended up just being, um, actually, I can remember exactly what it was. It was just a very simple one-page agreement to uh, uh, provide some money to an employee, uh, you know, as, as a loan or something like that, um, you know, that, that was going to be repaid, uh, you know, soon thereafter. Very, very small project. 
Um, but I really hit it off with with the founder who I'm I'm still friends with, who's you know gone on to to run a, a couple of very successful uh, companies, and um, that just kind of took off, and I ended up representing them for years before. Uh, they kind of spun off uh, and, you know, went, went into a different direction. But um, so that was the first one. And then the second one uh, is the one that tends to get uh, more chuckles out of people, um, which was also uh, if that was on a, a weekend, it was probably that Monday or so when I was back in my apartment in Chicago um, and I was on Craigslist, which uh, back then was very popular. I think it's still probably popular, but, um, you know, but but. Uh, you know, I was, I was looking for clients on Craigslist. That is absolutely correct. And uh, what was the post? What did you say in the post? So I, you know, it, it wasn't. So I actually didn't really ever post like myself. It was me looking for people who were looking for lawyers. And there was a guy who uh, said he was the um, he was the founder of a uh, company that his father had started, and then the father, you know, had given the company to the siblings. And now all the siblings were fighting. And uh, and I remember uh, in the post, it said something like, I've worked with every big firm in town, no big firms. And so I thought to myself, okay, this, guy, this guy's speaking, speaking my language a little bit. So I ended up uh, giving him a buzz and it ended up being like a, you know, two or three year litigation uh, in Chicago. Um, and and I, have, I have fond memories of that case because I've also become a uh, good friends with both opposing counsel uh, that I had in that case. And, and we've all kind of gone in, in different ways. Actually, both of them have gone on to start their own firms. They were at large firms at the time. And we've all we've just kind of referred work back and forth, watched our kids kind of grow up over the last decade together. And so I, I do have some fun memories of that. But those were the first two cases. And so I would say to anybody out there, like, you know, I didn't have a, you know, long family history of like, business and commerce in the US or something, didn't have family members or friends feeding me work. It was really just, it was a lot of hustling. And so let's talk about the path to, it sounds like you're getting some, some good hits early on. You're being scrappy, but then you also had this like great network that you're you're growing, that you seem to have grown, that you, you know, built relationships with people over time. So tell me some more about that. Cause I mean, you're, you're saying you're friends with lots of people. And that's not super common. Not, not that many people have, you know, can finish that many stories as you have some more. So tell me about why is that? Why, why are you friends with all these people? <laughs> I, you know, I, I try to meet with and, you know, have meaningful talk, discussions with as many people as I can, um, all different kinds of people. And that's, I feel like about 49% of the battle, right, is just meeting as many people as you can. But here's the other thing, and there's two other parts that I think together are really the 51%, which are you've got to tell people what you do, right? You've got to tell them what you do, and you've got to tell them how you can help them. If you don't do those things and you're in a service business, you know, you can know every general counsel or CEO, you know, in the, in the country, and that's never going to turn into an active matter, Right. Um, and so, you know, I think a lot of people are very scared of this or very timid of this. Um, it is very, very awkward, right? Uh, you know, people may think it's awkward, but I would say I had to spend probably the better part of five years and probably will be spending the rest of my life finding my voice, right? But when you find it, right, like I remember early on, there were so many times I was like in these like weird, like, you know, 
ABA or Illinois Bar or whatever, like networking, you know, events and things like that, or or even, you know, better ones like, I don't know, Federal Trial Bar or like some big company throwing some big, you know, gala or, you know, holiday event or whatever. And I got to tell you, I think when people out there probably think about networking and especially networking as a lawyer, that's probably what you're largely thinking of or a lot of what you're thinking of. Let me tell you, I hated those things and I didn't land a single client from those things, or maybe I did, but not a lot, right? It's not something that I continue to do. And it really wasn't until, like I said, maybe five years in where I went to one and I literally stayed for three minutes and I'm like, I'm out of here. This is not me. I'm out of here. I'm in the suit that I don't want to be in around all these people I don't know. And, you know, I, I need to really like just be myself, you know, kind of always coming back to that same value of like, be yourself and put yourself in a position uh, that will allow you to thrive. Right. And so for me, um, that, that ended up being a lot of different things. You know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I, like I said, I've been very involved in the art world for a long time. And so, um, you know, I, I ended up, you know, thinking to myself, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to really network to the people that I just want to meet, like in my, in my day-to-day life. Right. And so that meant like, you know, going to art fairs, going out down at Art Basel has always been a, a really great time for me to meet uh, potential clients or clients and, uh, you know, all kinds of different sort of, um, you know, art openings or, or, uh, you know, galas for various organizations that are tied to the arts, you know, things like that. Um, for me, that felt very natural. It felt, felt very authentic because um, everybody who tends to, 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 be at events like that, have some shared value of the arts, right? And so um, I felt like that was really, for me, um, the way to really, you know, sort of grow my client base. So and the other, I, I and the other that Art Basel, so what do you say to me? What do I say to you? Hey, you know, what's your name? <laughs> what do you do? Sorry, and, and, it, it's, and it's really then probably having the uncomfortable entry of like, oh yeah, you know, I'm an IP and corporate lawyer. I work with a lot of creatives. You know, I, I bet you guys have a lot of IP problems. You know, have you dealt with, have you dealt with any, any in the past or something like that? Right. Um, and obviously that's not really like a great icebreaker, right. Got to get to know people. And I think um, at the end of the day, you know, this is all about relationships, but I would say, you know, uh, I think the fact that you're at one of these events, right. Kind of that is very tailored to a very specific crowd already shows that there's a shared value, right? So, um, you know, one other organization that I've been very involved with for maybe the last seven or eight years, I wouldn't say very involved, but I am involved with, and that I, that I have uh, considered part of my professional network is Thai, right? Which is like the Indus entrepreneurs, right? And so when I go to that conference every year out in San Jose, um, you know, it's all Indians and I feel very comfortable with Indians. I've spent my whole life with Indians, you know? And so, um, you know, I, 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 feel very comfortable, you know, just asking people, what part of India are you from? And uh, I've been to India many times. I've been to every part of India, but that, you know, something like that is, 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 a, is a great way to just get people talking and get people comfortable with you. So you mentioned, you know, switching gears a little bit, you mentioned entrepreneurship and, you know, I think that is in the DNA of a, a lot of people who moved here. So, you know, my, uh, my, parents moved here and they, you know, my father, um, it's kind of funny story because it dovetails with, with your, uh, <laughs> with your second client, because, uh, you know, he got, he came here, had a full ride up for his MBA and then he got, uh, he worked a couple of random jobs. Then he got a job. I think it was through a friend of his professor, uh, working for a small closely held family business. The founder just took a liking to, to my dad, maybe viewed him as like a, a kind of a son kind of a figure. And, uh, but then he stepped down and the siblings all squabbled and the company fell apart. 
Uh, kind of funny. And I, I remember in corporations in law school, like that's all that, you know, that was the common fact. It happens. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's kind of a funny thing. So anyways, but entrepreneurship, you know, in our DNA, I would say, you know, and yeah. I, I think it, it runs, I think in a family based on my life experience. So I think it runs it, in the Indian community too. In the, runs in the Indian community. And so what's kind of interesting to me is in my opinion, you know, uh, it's a small sample size you're working with, but it seems that, you know, you are the outlier. It seems that, you know, relatively speaking, there's fewer people that launch own firms. And I want to know why that is. And that's why we're talking to begin with. That's why, you know, this is part of to, to show people, you know, to pull the curtain and uh, get people to understand what this is like. But I'm kind of amazed that I have to pull the curtain at all. Um, so what do you think <laughs> is what, why, why are so many people at big firms and, and, uh, yeah, I think our, I, I, that's a great question. I mean, I can't speak for everybody, right? I can only talk about my own experience, but I've hired a lot of people over, over the years who are very, very talented lawyers who spent a lot of time in a lot of these firms that we're talking about, you know? Um, and I think the reason most people don't go do this is because, you know, the industry itself has sort of um, done a really good job of, uh, creating a bright line between what's success and what's not success, right? And that bright line is, you know, big law, maybe federal prosecutor gets, gets, a, get, gets, a, gets a pass. And, uh, and, and then that's about it. Otherwise, you're in a small firm, you're in a solo firm, you're like not for real or something, right? Um, and, uh, you know, my view was, well, I don't like this culture and the industry as it stands anyway. So like, why do I care what they think about me? <laughs> you know? So um, that's really where I think uh, a lot of it comes from. I think a lot of people who studied very hard, you know, like I'm sure you and I both did <laughs> at the, at the insistence of our parents, um, you know, and did very well and, you know, end up at some brand name school, right. Or end up in law school, right. Where you're told that if you do really well and you end up at the very top of your class, you know, we might invite you to write on a journal and that's really good. Not because you're, you know, putting really great sort of thoughts out into the world, but then all the good firms are going to look at you. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, therein begins the journey that sometimes doesn't end for 40 or 50 yeah. years for people. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's where it starts, right. That's where it starts. But I think, right. And I hope that, you know, the work that, that we're doing and, and, and the work that a lot of other, you know, lawyers and firms are doing. And you're right. When I say a lot, you know, that's, that I, I, it's a little bit of a caveat because you're right. We, we are outliers and I, I, I do get looked at sort of strange by uh, maybe people who are part of the canon, uh, you know, uh, strangely, but um, I really do think there's a major opportunity and the pandemic has only catalyzed that uh, to really transform the practice of law in the U S and we really feel like that's what we want to do. So what, tell me more about that. What are the changes you think are impending? Uh, what's, what, what's, what's the sweet yeah. coming? So I think it's twofold, right? Um, I think there's a, um, I think there's a, well, I, I think at, at the base of it, it's the people, right? I think, you know, when people think of law firm culture, they are not, you know, it, it's not anything anybody's like fondly looking at, right? It's like not, it's not where any sort of, um, you know, coach or marketing person or anything like that um, is looking at in, in, in terms of like trying to, to borrow lessons from, you know, law firm culture, yeah. right? Well, but, yeah. it, is, it is predominantly, you know, white and male and, 
you know, straight and all of those things, right? And, um, you know, I, I, I have nothing against that demographic of people. Many, many, many close friends of mine uh, fit that description, right? But um, I do think that we need far, far more diversity, right? And that just doesn't mean, you know, uh, diversity of, you know, uh, you know where, where you're from or, or, or like, you know, who you're married to uh, or, or anything like that or whether you're married at all. Um, it really is also has a lot to do with diversity of viewpoints, right? And I think the diversity of viewpoints may exist in some law firms, but you're not really encouraged to uh, express it. Right. And I think that is, um, you know, that that that's, you know, I think one big thing that we are trying to create is really this this group of lawyers who, you know, are, are completely um, open and vulnerable uh, with one another. And I think by doing that, um, you, again, can tend to get closer and closer to that point where you're being your authentic self. You're going to do your best work and clients are going to be thrilled with that work you do. Um, so I think that's really at the at the core of it. And, um, you know, I really don't think that there are really, you know, very many law firms out there um, who are placing in it that level of importance on, uh, you know, sort of, you know, wellness within the practice of law, if you will. Um, but we do. Right. And we do because, you know, we we strongly believe in it. And I can tell you that we're going to keep doing it because we are seeing, you know, sort of major economic impact by doing it. Uh, and I think the firms that don't do it are going to be gone in in a, in a decade or two. I mean, it, it's just not sustainable, um, you know, given sort of the way that the world's going, the way our society's going, and the way that you know young people want to work these days. You know, a lot of that's driven by economics. You know, and, and you know, law firms. You know, it's funny because you're talking about management. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know, what kind of man, Harvard Business Review. You know, analysis you could do would be from the best firms. Like, what's the answer? Like, oh, well, they just work a million hours. Like, it's just like brute force. You know, like, what's what's the insight there? So yeah. to that end, so I mean, like, so the, um, you know, if that isn't sustainable, you know, so you have to make the economics work somehow. And so, what's the answer there? Is it just you know? lower overhead? I mean, what's the solution for solving that part of the puzzle? Is, is it different kinds of um, building structures? You know, what's the solution? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, you know, this is interesting. It's an interesting question. So for a long time, yes, we, we, as we talked about, you know, we've talked about before, you know, we definitely bootstrapped right at first. I mean, you know, no office to like kind of office to like, Hey, can we office with your law firm? we'll do some work for you in exchange for the rent, like all kinds of stuff like that. Right. Nice. Um, and I think at some point in there, you know, to bring people in through the door, gosh, we, we were char definitely charging a lot less than, than big firms paying our people a lot less too at the time as a result, um, you know, with some artists we represent doing work for barter for artwork, you know, in which, you know, it, it, things like that. Over time, though, Karam, you know, what I've learned, and I think this is a message that's really important, is if you really focus on your people and you focus on your culture, the economic stuff kind of falls into place, um, you know, and, 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 you know, so as we've grown, you know, we're, we're you know, attracting, you know, really top talent. And yeah, you know, we, we don't pay, we, we, we don't yet pay, uh, you know, maybe what the, to the last dime, what, what, you know, a lot of the sort of the crevasse scale. Right. Um, but, um, you know, 
I don't doubt that we'll be there. Uh, and I don't doubt that we'll be there, you know, relatively soon. Um, but from a client standpoint, yes, we get really creative with our clients, right? And, and you know, we get creative by figuring out what their goals are and figuring out what the value of that goal is and then pricing the thing accordingly. Because, you know, you're not going to pay $100,000, you know, to make a $200,000 problem go away. <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, that's a lot of where our focus is. And I think to me, that's just being a good lawyer. Right. And I think a lot of firms maybe don't get that uh, that part of it as much. But I will say, um, you know, as we kind of grow and as we kind of continue to build our brand and stay kind of true to who we are, you know, clients will pay for that. Clients want that. Right. And I think a big part of it, people may say like, okay, well, fine. So you got people who can like dress however they want. They work a little less. So, okay, fine. Like that's your culture. It's like, well, I mean, when you're hiring people that have this profile and are deeply interested in contemporary culture, right? It makes a difference because when, when founders come to us, when companies come to us and they're explaining to us their business model, right? Whether it's in fashion, whether it's in tech, whether it's in the arts, whether it's in, you know, whatever, right? They're talking to people who are, you know, stay on top of things and are probably avid users of whoever their competitors are, right? Is this your way that, telling me you're on TikTok? What's that? Is this your way of telling me that you're on TikTok? <laughs> oh, we do have a TikTok kind of thing. But no, and so it's like, but, but, it, but it makes sense, right? And I learned this so many years ago. Um, I remember actually one of my first clients, um, we went, uh, I don't do any patent, patent prosecution, right? And I got referred by two friends to a patent lawyer who you know, was at the like, you know, best patent boutique firm at that time, at least, you know, in the country or whatever. And they, 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 they uh, referred us to a partner uh, there to go, to go talk to. So we show up to the meeting. I was with my client, you know, uh, we, we show up to the meeting and the client, my client was developing, you know, a mobile, mobile app, which, you know, this is 2010, this is new stuff. Right. And, uh, and it was a consumer facing app and um, the lawyer, you know, really smart person clearly had, you know, knew the patent laws very well. Right. Told us that he had never used a smartphone, you know, and granted, you know, iPhone came out 2007. So it's still three years after the launch, you know, and we walked out, get the minute we got in the elevator, you know, my client who now runs a very, very successful, large company. And, you know, where we do a lot of work for them and he hires a lot of big firms to, to do a lot of other work. Um, you know, he's just like, I can't work with somebody who doesn't understand what we're trying to do. And, 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 you know, the point being, he's not even using the device where our app is going to sit on. Right. That's a very extreme, maybe example, but you can imagine day in and day out. Right. I mean, like uh, clients come to us and they're like, Oh, you get it. Oh, you get, Oh, you, you see what we're doing. Oh yeah. So our, our privacy policy or our terms and conditions should have this because, and you're putting that in there because you're a potential consumer. So you see that as a potential problem or, or pain point. Right. And that kind of, um, you know, lawyering from that perspective is really, you know, you hear lawyers all the time say, Oh, value add, I'm adding value. I'm adding that. That's how you add value in my, in my view, right. Is really understanding your client's business. Now it doesn't mean that, you know, a lot of smart lawyers out there aren't learning their clients' businesses, you know, as they kind of get to know them. And we do that too, right? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm handling a case right now that de is dealing with uh, luxury women's shower caps, right? That's not a space that I particularly know about, 
But I do know, you know, about, um, you know, digital marketing and, 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 and infringement online and, and uh, you know, uh, how, you know, uh, you know the, the sort of consumer confusion that can arise in the luxury brand space because, you know, we, we, we pay attention to that space. And I think that, uh, you know, those kinds of things um, go a long way in terms of, you know, attracting and retaining both talent and clients. So you've underscored, I think people is just the running theme. So let's spend a little more time talking about that. What was the timeline to your first hire? You know, who'd you hire and why? <laughs> uh, first hire, my brother, because my dad wanted me to. <laughs> so uh, I'm kidding. Um, it was my brother, though. He was he was actually finishing up law school right around the time that I that I uh, started my firm. Uh, he's now an eight, uh, working for a uh, esports team out in Los Angeles, but he was with me for like a year or two. But the first person I hired um, was probably around 2011 uh, or 12, um, and uh, her name is Johanna, and she's actually uh, she was with us for a number of years and is now. Uh, moved back home to Minneapolis and was at the Greenberg Trarig's uh, office up there. Um, she's my first hire. I have very fond memories working with her for many years. And um, she really did share that vision. I mean, she was, you know, super into, um, you know, music and arts and culture. Uh, her husband is a, a very well-known and, and respected music journalist. Um, and we just got along really well, you know, and uh, just, you know, good, good person, good family, um, you know, really curious uh, and and uh, really like to work hard and and you know get to know our clients and I feel like um, that was yeah that was the first hire and so you ask about the timeline which is kind of funny because that was the first hire and it was around that time or maybe it was like a year after I'd say probably around 2013 or so it was maybe her and maybe one other associate and um, I was put in touch with uh, a client of mine actually in New York um, said to me a founder said hey you know you gotta talk to my dad. My dad's a lawyer and, uh, you know, he, he went on his own. He started at, I think it was Sidley Austin, you know, way back in, in maybe the seventies or so. And he's on his own now. He's been, you know, you should talk to him. And of, of course I was grateful for that introduction. I was like, you know, I'd I love taking advice from, from people who had been through it. And that was such a valuable meeting. Maybe not for the reason that, that, that he, he thinks <laughs> he would have thought, right. Um, you know, here was someone who had been on his own for his entire career. No associates, you know, maybe a little bit of staff, but and it was very successful. He's representing, had, you know, good client base, respected lawyer. I could tell very smart. Um, but I just didn't, I, I came out of that uh, meeting thinking to myself, well, that sounds like it was great for him, but that actually wouldn't be very, that, that's not really what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't put my finger on it. And then I kind of thought about it and I'm like, I, you know, I'm so, I'm, I'm so sort of, um, passionate about people and culture. I think what that means is I need to surround myself <laughs> by people who embrace our culture and that's going to amplify our culture. That's going to elevate our culture. And so that's really when, you know, uh, that was probably around like 2014 or 15. And shortly thereafter, um, I reconnected um, with an, an old friend who I didn't go to law school with, but who I met during law school um, because she was a uh, uh, dating another, another friend of mine um, who, who was in law school with me. And, um, and yeah, so, and, and, and that ended up being Wendy Halbutt, who is, uh, you know, the first partner that I brought on, um, you know, about five years or four years or four or five years ago. And um, that really marked, you know, she kind of opened up our New York presence. 
and really since then um, is when we've kind of done, you know, sort of the majority of the growth, you know, that, that, that we've kind of done together uh, over the last few years. And, you know, you're so people centric. So I, it's, I'm kind of interested to hear, how did you think about what kinds of talent to bring in? You know, how did you think about what, what practice areas you want to grow into? Cause that's definitely not what you're, that's not what you're starting with. I mean, I think any number of people, frankly, myself, I've seen about a lot of like, oh, practice area first, I'll focus on that. Uh, so, so how did you think about that? That's a great question. I mean, you know, we do, we do have to think about it. I mean, we think about it broadly, right. In terms of like corporate and like, you know, litigation, I guess. Right. Um, but you know, it's really kind of really looking for like good, just interesting people first. Right. I mean, obviously, you know, like right now, you know, we've, we've brought on a couple of litigators somewhat recently. So like, maybe we're not like acutely looking for another litigator because we're pretty, you know, pr- pr- pretty set at the moment. But, you know, if, if like somebody with a super unique, interesting background you know, came our way, doesn't mean that we wouldn't necessarily, you know, consider or look at it. So I think for us, what it would have to be like, look, yeah, do we look, you know, I'll tell you what we don't look at. We don't look at grades, right? We don't look at law school grades. Um, you know, we'll, we'll look at, you know, if they've, what their work history has been, because most, most people come to us, you know, maybe I think next summer will be the first time that we actually start sort of interviewing like on campus at law schools. Um, most people come to us after having some prior job of some kind. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll start by, by kind of looking at that past work experience. Um, we love looking at, you know, people who have, uh, you know, I always call it like, you know, the, the, the bottom half of the resume. Uh, I, I love, we love looking at like the interests and the, um, activities and the like random stuff you did in high school and college, you know, I think all those things are super interesting and tell you a lot about a person, um, you know, and, and tells you a lot about what they have selected to put on their resume to begin with. Right. Um, so I think, you know, we'll look at a lot of that. I mean, obviously at the end of the day, they're coming to our firm to do a certain job. Right. So there are certain kinds of positions like, you know, we just recently made a hire for, you know, uh, uh, somebody with, you know, deep VC financing expertise because we just wanted to add add somebody else with that specific background, uh, you know, to our roster. But, you know, even when we do that, you know, we've got we, we were presented with, you know, all kinds of like, you know, uh, uh, candidates from like, you know, the best firms and the best law schools, blah, blah, blah. Yes, that that is impressive. Of course, you know, if you've if you've done really well at like a really good law school, it certainly shows that, that you know, you worked hard and you're a smart person. But we kind of like to go beyond that. And so um, while that might, you know, maybe, maybe that gets you an interview or whatever. But like, I think when we're when we're really talking to people, we really like to um, we like to understand, like, you know, what their goals are and, and how they spend their time and, you know, what really moves them and motivates them. Yeah. So what if, what's the most interesting you discovered about the kinds of people that are a fit? I mean, so from reading the bottom half of the resume, like what have you discovered? Like, Hey, you know, I, this is the kind of thing I'm looking for, or this kind of history is what's really interesting to me. Or, you know, what, what have you discovered along the way about, you know, what's in the bottom half and what does it tell you? I think what it tells you is, you know, there's a certain profile I feel like that, people associate lawyers with, you know, and law firms with, and certainly like partners at law firms, right? Um, you know, kind of stiff, maybe a little aggressive, um, no room for error, um, you know, must always be available, must always be respectful and responsive and deferential and all of that, right? 
I think what we've tried to do is, and I think we've been successful with it and what we've found is, you know, <laughs> I, I chuckle when I think about this because I've heard about this since the beginning of my career, but you know, I've heard so many hiring partners say, we have a no jerks policy, right? <laughs> like, and it's like the worst thing to say, right? But like, honestly, like I almost feel like we've ultimately built a firm where we've got really empathetic people and people who treat each other with a lot of respect, who treat um, the clients with a lot of respect and are people who want to, you know, explore themselves through their work right? And grow as professionals and as people um, and do work for people who really appreciate it and who they kind of connect with. And I think that, you know, um, it, you know, when, when you, when you kind of say that to people, it sounds like really woo woo and like weird, right? And like, what does that really mean? But, you know, when, when you've got that as sort of like your day-to-day -day experience, right? Because let's face it, we spend more, most of our time, or at least a lot of our time working with these people. When that is your experience, when you're working with truly kind, empathetic, smart, vulnerable, creative people, you are going to be more joyful than if you are working with, pardon my French assholes, <laughs> right? Or people who want to make your life miserable. Right. Um, or want to make you work 2,500 hours so they, you know, they can buy their fourth house. Right. Um, when you do that, you realize people tend to be happier. And like I said at the beginning, when people are happier, they are knocking their work out of the park. And clients are happy. You're happy. Everybody's happy. And the firm thrives. And I deeply believe in that. And I think that's what we've built. You know, hearing you say this, I, you know, I think I'm more bullish on your vision. And, you know, I, I've never been particularly persuaded that law firms will crack the, you know, really take the diversity issue seriously. Um, and, you know, now I think you're really cementing why that is. It's just, it's just not plausible for an institution to care about these things. It's just like, it's, and, and you'll see this kind of separation effect where, people like you and people like the people at your firm are just going to separate out. Like, like no one, like who's going to take the time? Like what, what's, what's more likely that you Vivek are going to stay at a big firm and say, Hey, I, I, I'm really passionate about changing this institution that already isn't meeting my needs. Like, and so I'm going to direct my life's energy into reforming this institution. Is that more likely or Vivek says, Hey, you know what? I think I can do my own thing. Um, and I, and I think, you know, so you, I think, uh, from the things you're talking about, I think you're pioneering in that way, you know, in terms of, you know, how you approach your practice and the scrapness involved. And I think now, you know, now for instance, there's, there's so many more SaaS platforms out there and there's so much more understanding of say, you know, shared workspace. And I think that whole notion of bootstrapping is maybe finally filtering its way into law firms, maybe, uh, by way of their tech clientele, maybe, um, and so I, I think, you know, I think you are representing, you're probably at the vanguard of, of probably the changing face of law. If I had to guess, you know, that's, that's how I bet. Well, thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. I guess to answer your question, I'd say this. I'd say yes and yes, right? So we're, yes, like, I guess we're, we're unabashedly out there trying to transform the way law firms work in the U.S., right? But 
we're also kind of like just doing our own thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that, it's not like your mission to change a law firm. No, okay, no. Yeah. yeah. And we're doing our own thing. And, but I do think by doing our own thing, that is what I truly hope happens. Right. Yeah. And, um, and, and I, and I truly hope it happens because there's a lot of people out there who are suffering or unhappy or whatever. Right. And, and I, who are lawyers who are working in these places. And so, you know, this is not intended to say, um, oh, we've got to do away with, with, with big law and it completely or anything like that. Yeah. Right. I just think that, um, you know, I'll, I'll say this directly to the hiring partners that are listening. Your best people are contacting us all the time. And, uh, you know, I don't think, and I think, you know, it has a lot to do with these things that, you know, most law firm partners don't want to think about, right? Diversity, empathy, vulnerability, right? These issues, mental health, wellness, right? Um, you can't just like put an initiative on your website and like hope that it happens, right? Um, and, and, you know, I'm happy if others don't want to do it and let us do it and like, you know, take all the clients that are looking for it because they're looking for it. Um, you know, we've had, I mean, I can think of two or three cases just this year where um, we, we've had different viewpoints, right? Like I'm talking like from like, you know, and, uh, you know, ethnic background, uh, you know, difference or gender differences, right? All on a, on a specific case. And as a result, you're getting different viewpoints, different strategies. And when the client is hearing those different viewpoints, different strategies that are directly based upon the different personal experiences that these lawyers have had, including myself, right? They are looking at that as major value add, major value add, depending who your judge is, right? Depending who the, what the jury might look like, um, depending on, you know, how the media might perceive a certain uh, uh, litigation strategy or something like that, right? Um, I think that, you know, the world is moving a lot more in that direction than in the direction of, you know, the homogenous firm of like the seventies and eighties. That's so interesting because I think, you know, so much of the pitch that, you know, say uh, the initial sweep of, you know, minority attorneys was, was, Hey, I can do this substance as well as anyone else. You know, particularly, <laughs> you know, it's funny, right? Because I mean, so, I mean, like, so say something like IP, you know, I think I've been thinking about, it. I know you've done IP litigation and I'm sure you have some taste of this, but so IP litigation, particularly patent litigation is, somewhat different than the clientele you're describing because patent litigation clients yes. Yes. are pretty sophisticated yep. and they, they know what they're looking for. There's so many times, so, so often they're directing a lot of the strategy and, you know, patent practice is a lot more specialized in, the, in a handful of jurisdictions. Uh, so, you know, there's unpredictably an outcome, like you don't know whether a judge will invalidate a patent or not, but the process is, is a lot more streamlined and fewer surprises and, you know, fewer bills to a client that client says, Hey, what does this mean? Or why did right. you do this? That kind of, that changes the practice a little bit. And I, I feel like that historically the pitch has been, you know, the reason why I say South Asians have made such strides in that space is, Hey, you know, like I can do substance as well as anyone else. And this is a substance driven kind of work. This is a procedure driven kind of work. This isn't based on personality. Like you don't have to worry about whether I fit in because I golf or not. It doesn't matter. You, you don't have to give a shit about whether I golf or not, because I'll do the same kind of patent prosecution, whether I golf or not. Whereas, you know, maybe other kinds of areas have been more relationship driven and more difficult to break into. And I think it's interesting that you're, it seems like you're kind of leapfrogging that or hurtling that right past it to say, actually, 
having a unique perspective in the kinds of work that I'm focusing on matters. And here's, uh, here's why I'm, I'm showing up and showing you what I can do based on who I am. So it's kind of a funny inversion of that, um, of I think that historical <laughs> dynamic. Yeah, that's, a, that's a, that is interesting. You know, I mean, I, it's funny because I, I'll stay within the IP world, but I'll, I'll shift a little bit to a lot of the work we do, which is copyright and trademark litigation or counseling or guidance or whatever, right? And I always tell people, I mean, you, you know, I mean, I don't know if you've done actual trademark and copyright stuff, but I'm probably a little bit and I'm sure you know. Yeah, very little. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I think you'll get it, right? So the standard for likelihood of confusion in a trademark case, I mean, likelihood of confusion is the legal standard, right? And figuring out whether or not there's been trademark infringement. And so, okay, likelihood of confusion from whose perspective? Well, it's from the consumer's perspective, right? Um, you know, believe it or not, like all consumers don't look like, you know, senior partners at law firms. Right. Right? And uh, what I love is, you know, when we're handling all these um, trademark cases for like consumer facing brands that are maybe uh, targeting, you know, specific demographics, like our team, we, we have really, really, I think, made some very, very um, moving arguments uh, in court, um, you know, that that kind of come at things from a very sort of maybe, maybe uh, a more youthful perspective, I guess you could put, you know, you, you, you could say, but I can tell you, you know, um, in areas like, you know, some cannabis litigation we've been involved in, or, um, you know, other startup, it comes up a lot with when working with our tech companies that are consumer facing, right, in terms of like, advancing the arguments as to why or not why, um, you know, two marks are similar or why the products or services are similar, right? That's at the core of every trademark uh, infringement case. Like, you have to have diversity in order to answer that question. Like, if you have, you know, and truth be told, if you have 10 Indian guys answering that question, that's also not sufficient, right? You've got to have the diversity because getting that diverse viewpoint is going to tell, is going to actually kind of foreshadow how a judge or a jury might look at it, right? And so that diversity of viewpoint in the trademark world is, I have personally found to be invaluable, right? Whether dealing with the USPTO or dealing with a federal judge. In copyright, same thing. We've had a number of substantial similarity, you know, cases where, um, you know, hey, you know, is this substantially similar to this? Well, that's, you know, it's the, you know, depends who's looking at it, right? And so shouldn't we get as many different looking people looking at these things, you know, before we make that determination, right? And so um, I, yeah, maybe I am coming at it from a different perspective. Like, uh, you know, um, I'm, you know, I really don't care if you golf, <laughs> I guess is what I'm trying to say. That's the bottom line. Yeah. All right. Well, so I actually don't know how you answer this question, um, but how are you thinking about, um your growth. How are you thinking about what clientele you want? Because it seems like that's been a theme from the get-go. You've thought about, hey, here's the clientele I want. And um, it'll that'll be a reflection part of how we are. Uh, so what kind of clientele do you want? And you know, where do you want your law from the go? Like how do you want it to grow? Yeah. You know, I mean that's a great those are great questions. And I mean we're doing um, we're in the middle of of developing like a two-year strategic plan. Um, which, by the way, when I talked to a couple of law firm partners about that, they're like, what? Well, why are you doing that? You know, but like that's I, we feel like that's like real core to our growth is like actually trying to map out some of these things that you're talking about, which I think are really good questions and very important uh, to, to, to discuss and have some kind of grasp on. So I think, you know, um, personally, I just want to continue working 
with really creative, interesting people. And, uh, you know, so maybe that's because you've uh, created some really new, great legal tech. Maybe that's because you are a sort of groundbreaking contemporary artist who's doing major collaborations with, you know, big fashion houses in Paris, right? Doesn't matter. I just want to be working and continue to work with and represent really interesting, creative people. I think for our firm, I think that's that's where we're headed. I think all of us share that that value. It you know it shows up in different ways. You know, my partner Heidi in Chicago is a data privacy uh, expert and has been practicing in the area you know almost twenty years now. Which I always tell people I didn't even know that was a practice area twenty years ago. So she's got some deep deep expertise uh, in data privacy, which has you know become a really hot hot button issue the last few years. But and her one of her major industry focuses has been healthcare, right? So you know, really smart, creative people um, might show up in different ways. You know, we're now getting, you know, working with and 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 are getting contacted by all kinds of, you know, um, early stage companies, entrepreneurs who are, one second. Sorry about that. Um, might have to edit that one out. Um, who are, who are, you know, really innovating in the healthcare space. Right. Um, and so I feel like that, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, you can innovate in, in law, you can innovate in accounting, you can innovate in medicine. Right. And so I think, you know, the focus for all of us is to continue working with, you know, creative, uh, you know, creative clients. Um, I think the other focus is to continue inviting and working with, um, you know, it's really, it's really, these really smart people that, um, that we've been talking about, you know, for this entire hour. Right. And so, um, you know, really kind of continuing to make our place, our firm, uh, open to, to the kinds of people we've been talking about. So that, that's really the goal. I mean, you know, we don't have any, you know, people always ask, well, how many lawyers do you want to get to? As I have no idea. I don't think about it that way. Um, I'm not saying that's a bad way to think about it. We just don't think about it that way. Um, you know, it, it, granted, part of the strategic plan is some financial modeling and how, who do we need to hire to get there and all those kinds of things. But at least for me, you know, where I sit and kind of like how I think about things, like I'm not really focused on that. And so the clients, you know, yeah, I want to, you know, I, I still want to get out there and I'd love to work with, you know, all the brands and, and artists and things that I, that, that I love. But what I love, what I also love seeing happening already which for me is very exciting is like, I now love seeing um, maybe more traditional uh, companies, I guess you could say coming to us because they're feeling like their legal function needs a refresh or a reboot, maybe needs to look differently, talk differently, give different kinds of advice, think strategically in different ways. And to me, um, that's really where we can shine because I feel like um, that's the, that, that's the kind of, that's the kind of, uh, work we love to do. That's really interesting. So what does that look like? Like what is, you know, what, what's, let's say a company like Walgreens approaches in about, I mean, like, I, I'm yeah. to, like what advice would you give some yeah. institutional client like that? Yeah. So, you know, um, well, I'll tell you one place where we've had um, more than one experience is really big companies who are forming venture arms to, you know, make investments in various startups in their industries, right? Um, you know, if you work in the, uh, you know, we, we do work with with a one of the major airlines, you know, if they're investing in, 
uh, new aviation startups, or I work with uh, another uh, major music streaming service, and they are making investments in you know other sort of adjacent technologies and things like that. I think what happened um, initially when big sort of big companies, you know, I don't know, Fortune, Fortune something companies started doing this, they realized, and I didn't know this at the time. I, I got approached by a, a GC who, you know, who was saying that, like, gosh, when we go make these investments in these startups, and uh, then we kind of start like managing these startups or we start working with them, there's like a major cultural misfit. Right. And, and, and uh, sometimes that, that misfit um, is, is no more glaring than in the legal function. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, and so what they'll say to us is they're like, we really need you to be sort of the, the legal support for that part of the business, perhaps because of your culture and because of the fact that, you know, these founders of these startups probably will feel more comfortable and see more eye to eye with the way you walk and talk than the way maybe that our GC walks and talks, hmm. right? And um, again, you know, it, 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 sure, it sounds non-substantive at first, and maybe it is, but ultimately it turns into giving the kinds of pointed advice that meets the goals of that client. And you understand those goals because you understand that person and you understand their business. So is, is your, it's interesting that, you know, the clientele that you folks on, uh, it seems like there's such a heavy tech component uh, and I can't help but wonder, and if you've asked yourself is, you know, you've emphasized so much the people dimension, uh, but of course, so much about tech is like, you know, like replacing the people function, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, so what have you, I mean, like, is there a version of your firm where you can, you, you you'll eat your own firm by making, I don't know, the, the SaaS version of Gyrum. What does that look like? SaaS version of Gyrum. Hey, it, look, it, it, in the name of innovation, that would be great. I think that'd be fantastic. Um, but I'm not, you know, look, there's a, there's a book by uh, Donald Susskind. I don't know if you've read it called Tomorrow's Lawyers. And um, he first wrote it in like 2006 and it's been updated a few times. And I teach a, a law school class, actually, University of Miami Law School um, called uh, Law Firm Innovation. And um, we, we talk a lot about that book. And in that book, he identifies three drivers of change um, that are hitting the, the legal industry. And it's technology um, and, and deregulation, right, are two of them. And, um, and cost, you know, being the third. And I think, you know, we are not afraid of technology. We, we are actually looking at technology as a way to kind of, we leverage technology to, to, to deliver our services in more sort of efficient ways, you know? Um, I, uh, funny anecdote just from this week, uh, some of you may have seen, there's a very long piece in the New Yorker uh, about um, a, a company called Invisible Technologies, who uh, they have uh, developed, uh, you know, virtual assistants, right? We worked with Invisible. I, I I don't know, and I'm you know if somebody out there in Invisible is listening to this, I, I think we must have been their one of their first clients, and we had a an assistant who was a bot named Paloma, and um, my partners and I thought it'd be fun fun funny not to really tell anybody that it's a bot, and she worked with us for about eight months, and she, she did a fantastic job, and uh, finally we 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 moved on from that. This was a couple of years ago, and and you know started hiring actual uh, support staff and stuff like that. And um, I thought it was an extraordinary experiment and, and, and it worked really well. And I think there's going to be a lot of better 
tools just like that. And Invisible itself sounds like from the New Yorker article that it's, it's even become more robust. Uh, they're in like 35 countries now. But um, I think that, you know, we, we should never be scared of technology. We should embrace it. Right. And so for us, you know, we, we look at that as, um, you know, we look at that as, as something that we can leverage. And I think, um, you know, but, but on that point, I, I will say, you know, I think um, our industry, you know, suffers in that way. Um, you know, with, with people maybe who, who are afraid of technology and, and, and so, you know, we see that as another strength of ours. Yeah. So it sounds like, uh, yeah, it sounds like you really are onto something that is pretty darn innovative. So, uh, yeah, I'll definitely be watching this space for the, for the years to come. I think more <laughs> cues for, uh, for how we can all change how we practice. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look at the end of the day, I think that, you know, um, you find success and authenticity, right? And so I would really tell people out there, and I know you've got such a sort of an audience of people who are engaged, right? And they, and they want to be inspired. And I would say to people, like <laughs> I told you about an hour ago, I never thought this was going to work. And the reason I didn't think it was going to work is because I was going at it by just completely doing what I wanted to do and what I was passionate about. And what a failure of our sort of, I guess, you know, legal industry, educational system or whatever that made me believe that this wasn't possible, right? That you couldn't just sort of, you know, do things in the way that you truly believe they should be done. Um, and the reason you can't do that is because, you know, um, everybody else is doing it some other way. Right. And I would say to people out there that that should that, that should not only be that that should be the inspiration, actually, uh, to get you to do what you want to do. And so, um, you know, I, I've counseled a lot of clients. I've had a couple of, you know, failed side hustles. Right. That never came to fruition because, you know, people sometimes try to be something other than themselves. You know, I've done it. You've probably done it you know, people do it all the time. And so, you know, I think this discussion, I think has illuminated the power of people, right? But if, if we're being completely accurate, right, with our language, like lawyers often are, right, it's really the power of authentic people, right? So just be yourself. Be, and, and by being yourself, like, that's how you're going to be successful, right? The challenge is figuring out who you are, I right. guess. But, but um, you know, don't play somebody else's game, you know, um, make your own game. It's a lot more fun. I love that. Uh, that is, I'm going to take that to heart. I, I, I feel like I live by that, but I think that it's just, it's awesome to hear someone say that. And I feel like that's the, the path that I'm charting right now. And, uh, yeah, I, what a way to end that is, uh, really, really profound. And I'll be reflecting on that. So <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, man. I'm glad we did this All right. a lot and uh, hopefully other people did too. And uh, looking forward to sharing this. All right. I'm so grateful for uh, the opportunity to do this and uh, good luck with everything. Thanks for including All me. Right. All right.